Welcome to Making Waves, the podcast for curious business leaders, brought to you by Wavelength. Since 2008, Wavelength has taken over 2,000 leaders, physically and digitally, inside the boardrooms and shop floors of some of the world's most admired, progressive, and successful organizations, and hosted in-depth conversations with highly accomplished leaders from the world of business and beyond. We've run programs in Silicon Valley, China, India, and throughout Europe, going inside iconic organizations such as Apple, Alibaba, Netflix, Lego, and the Aravind Care System. I'm Adrian Simpson, co-founder of Wavelength, and in this episode, we're going to delve into the quite remarkable Southwest Airlines. Having spent nearly 30 years of my career visiting the boardrooms of some of the world's greatest organizations, for me, Southwest Airlines stands out. Despite operating in one of the toughest, most regulated sectors, when factors outside of your control, such as oil prices, terrorism, and indeed pandemics can decimate your business. And ultimately, if you get it wrong, people can die. Southwest has put people, service, and profit in that order at the heart of its business, a formula that has made it into one of the world's most admired organizations. Today, I'm joined by the wonderful Elizabeth Bryant, uh, a friend of more than 20 years, um, who today is Vice President of Southwest University, who provides executive leadership for all employee learning and development at Southwest Airlines, who's been with them uh, since 1997. So Elizabeth, welcome. Adrian, hello, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much, thank you so much. Really great, great, great to have you with us today. Um, so Elizabeth, I've uh, made a couple of um, opening remarks about Southwest, but for those um, unfamiliar uh, with the business, perhaps you could just um, color in the lines a little bit, tell us about you know, who it was founded by, when, you know, how many employees you've got, that, those, those kind of things. Yes, absolutely, I'm happy to do that. And it really is wonderful to spend a little time with you today, Adrian. so thank you for the invitation. So Southwest Airlines um, has been around for quite a while, and Air Southwest Company or Corporation uh, was incorporated March 15th of 1967. And then we changed our name later to Southwest Airlines in 1971. And our founders were Herb Kelleher and Roland King. And this year we're actually celebrating our 50th anniversary. And so lots happening um, within the walls of Southwest. Currently we have about 56,000 employees and our purpose um, is one that we have a laser focus on for all of our employees, and it's to connect people to what's important in their lives through friendly, reliable, and low-cost air travel. And for those of you who don't know much about Southwest, we have a very robust network of point-to-point service with a strong presence across both leisure and business markets. And our vision is to be the world's most flown, most efficient, most profitable airline. And we actually coined the phrase transparency to describe our philosophy of treating customers honestly and fairly, having low costs that actually stay, that transfer to low fares for our customers. And we're the only major US airline to offer bags fly free to everyone and we don't charge change fees. So um, we have a, a very clear business model. And as you mentioned in your introduction, we have a, we have clarity around um, why we exist. And it really starts with a, a focus on our people and ensuring that we hire the right people, we develop our people, we care for our people, because if we do that, they will take care of our customers. And if we take care of our customers well, they will come back. And if they come back, that's good for business and it's good for our shareholders. Fantastic. Thank you. So just touching upon your relentless focus on employees, I think uh, if I'm right in saying that you're, I mentioned in my introduction, that you're 
core philosophy has always been around sort of people first, then delivering service. And I believe you've actually talked about positively outrageous service is what you aim to deliver. We'd love just to dig a little bit more into, you know, that that kind of legendary focus on people um, and, and culture. And I've had the, you know, the pleasure uh, in my career of visiting Southwest um, numerous times. And it's that sort of palpable sense of passion and enthusiasm really struck me. I remember literally walking down the corridors with, with groups of wavelength clients and seeing employees when, when such things were possible, running down corridors and hugging each other and kind of, you know, high-fiving each other or just observing this sort of, you know, and even when that wasn't, you weren't seeing that, you were just seeing this incredible energy and passion. Um, could you still talk about, you know, what is, the, what is the secret source of the Southwest Airlines culture? One of the things we'll talk about is leadership. Perhaps you could just give me your view on what's the secret source of that Southwest Airlines way. Um, you know, I think our culture is often imitated, but rarely is it duplicated. And I think it's because of the simplicity of just doing the right thing and practicing the golden rule and ensuring that every employee, when we hire them, we try to instill this sense of responsibility for each of us to promote and to preserve our culture. And it is not up to the company to create that culture. That culture comes from the unique perspectives and unique talents and skills of the people that we hire into um, our, our Southwest family. So there's a, a sense of um, responsibility that I am here in order to make Southwest a better place. And in order to do that, I must engage. I must um, feel a, a real sense of purpose um, as, as to why I'm here. And, you know, our core philosophies are built on our purpose and our vision and the Southwest way, which you've referred to. And this, the Southwest way is really about our company promise, our employee promise, our values. And um, it's one way that Southwest continues to evolve um, and, and ensure that as we grow, size does not trump uh, it doesn't give us an, an excuse to not continue to, to do the right thing and have that focus on our people, that we continue to be successful because we have our eye um, very, very clearly um, in, in one direction and all employees and leaders follow that direction. And so a few years ago, we actually redefined our value system at Southwest. And the timing was really good because this was pre-pandemic. And it, it gave us a chance to kind of sit back and reflect on where we've been, where we are today, and where we're going. And we took it as an opportunity, I think, to re-clarify what we stand for. Because in order to continue to be successful, you've got to know who you are, right? Our business model may evolve, but who we fundamentally are as an organization and who we are as people, that our values stay the same and they essentially can stand the test of time, right? So we created our new value system, which is defined around me, we, and Southwest. Me being how I show up, that my, I am committing to this when I become an employee at Southwest. I show up with a sense of pride, with integrity, and with humility. And we is about how we work together through teamwork, through honesty, and through service, right? We are a service organization. We just happen to fly airplanes, right? But we are fundamentally a customer service organization. 
And then Southwest is about how we will succeed together through efficiency, through discipline, and through excellence. And when we redefined these, we wanted to go beyond that because we knew that, you know, when you just say integrity, that might mean something to each person. So we wanted to define what does integrity mean for us? And as a, a quick um, illustration, underneath integrity, we have don't be a jerk. And anyone you talk to knows what it means, right? I can look at you and say, Adrian, don't be a jerk. And you know what I'm talking about, right? It's about being kind um, to each other, bringing your authentic best self you know, to work every day. And so as we went through this exercise and redefined our values, it turned out to be very timely for us because we rolled this out to the company in January of 2020. Employees rallied around this. And then all of a sudden we're faced with the toughest moments in our history. And it helped provide us, I think, with a compass as we navigated um, through you know, that just our, our darkest hour um, as an organization. A couple of things there you've said, I just wanted to, to, to pick up on. Um, you mentioned uh, the golden rule. Um, what, is the, what is the golden rule for listeners that are unfamiliar with it? So the golden rule is um, essentially at the essence, it's treating others the way they want to be treated. Um, and Colleen Barrett, who was our, she's our president emeritus. She was our president for many years and she actually came to the airline, excuse me, with Herb Kelleher. She was actually his legal secretary. Um, he was an attorney. He took on Southwest as a client pro bono um, to help us get off the ground. And she came with him and worked alongside him and became our president. And she is really one who's credited with um, ensuring that we take care of our employees, that we are a family culture. And the golden rule is something that was very near and dear to her heart. And she helped to embed that in our culture and it, it exists today. Fantastic. And that, that leads me on. I mean, you've touched upon a couple of times around um, recruitment, right? Which is right people. So I, I'd love to understand a bit more about, you know, at Southwest Airlines is fundamentally a service business that happens to fly airplanes. You know, I, mm -hmm. I love that. Um, could you talk a little bit more about, you know, um, the kind of people that you look for? You know, what's your fundamental recruitment criteria when you're looking for new hire employees? Well, Adrian, I would say that that hiring is fundamentally one of the most important activities that a leader has to do. You can pivot and adjust your, your business strategy. If you make the wrong hiring decision, that is a very difficult thing to overcome. If you make the right hiring decision, that furthers your organization. So um, as far as priorities go, this is always top of my list as one of the most important activities that I am charged with. And I personally interview every single employee that before they come in to my department um, as a chance to understand who they are and a chance to set expectations that I have. It's, it's a win-win, right? It's a, you know, an employee who takes on the responsibility of joining our organization needs to know what they're signing on for. And it's, it's a partnership. And so I try to set that out front. And really that philosophy has come from, you know, the lessons that I've learned here at Southwest. When we hire employees, we are, I would say, we, we are um, uncompromising in our desire to hire someone who works hard, um, who knows how to have some fun, doesn't take themselves too seriously, right? They take their job seriously, but they don't take themselves too seriously. 
and someone who has a heart for others. Um, I can't train someone to deliver great customer service if they don't truly want to take care of other people, right? You either want to do that or you don't want to do that. And so it's critical that in our hiring process, we hire those that genuinely want to serve other people. Um, and so it's a pretty basic model. We call it the warrior spirit, right? That work hard, perseverance, um, innovation, sense of urgency, that servant's heart, the golden rule, putting others first, and that warrior spirit that, or excuse me, that um, fun-loving attitude, that taking your job seriously, but not yourself too seriously. So we hire for that. And it's a, it's a pretty, um, it's, a, it's a thorough process. And so our interviewers are involved and recruiters, our hiring manager, team members tend to get involved. Um, I think when I came on board um, several years ago, I think I had five interviews um, to come on to Southwest. And so it is an, an exercise that we take very seriously because we know it's a long-term commitment because we want Southwest to be a career. Don't necessarily want to hire employees who see this as a short-term job. We want them to come in, connect with our purpose, connect with our vision, recognize who we are, what we stand for, and want to be part of that and, and make it better. Person that we hire, we also look for leadership traits, whether formal leadership role or not, it's that ability to engage others and lead. So you're describing a, a leadership, sorry, a recruitment uh, philosophy, which is fundamentally about um, attitude over skill would be my would be my distillation. Is that is that a fair uh, reflection? Yes, I absolutely right. Yep. I can train you in almost any skill. Um, I, I can't train your attitude. I need that to come with you. <laughs> And so how do you look for that attitude, right? So you're faced with somebody, you know, it's physically in a room or these days it's over a, over a Zoom call, you know, what are you looking for? How do you try and figure out whether somebody is the kind of person that perhaps might be, you know, I don't know, really charming to the interviewer and kind of rude to the waiter? So that is a, a really great question. And, and so there's a few things that I would say. One, the interviewer is interviewing every step of the way, meaning when we bring somebody in for an interviewer, the way that they greet the employee at the front desk, if they stayed at a hotel and we brought them in on the shuttle, the way that they interact with the shuttle driver. Um, I always have someone from my staff um, go and meet the, the potential employee and bring them um, to the room. And I always ask, what was that like? And did they greet you? And did they look you in the eye? And did they smile? And those small um, kind of moments tell you a lot. And I've had a shuttle driver say, this person was, was rude to, to me. I just needed you to know. And that was, that was enough for me. If you're going to be rude to a shuttle driver, then this is not going to be the place for you. Um, now, if a person is kind through all of that, then that is definitely the, the, the test one. And then through the interview process, um, I tend to ask, and we all do here at Zappos, we ask behavioral-based questions. And so instead of saying, you know, how would you handle a situation like this? Because that's a pretty, that's a softball, right? But to say, tell me about a time when you had a, a difficult customer situation. Why was the customer upset? How did you handle it? And that gives you insight into how they think about resolving issues or conflicts. When I'm interviewing for a leader position, one thing that I do every time is I ask the leader to tell me about their current team. And then I'll, I'll go a next step further and say, tell me about their spouse and their kids or what, what's important to them or what do they do outside of work. And that tells me as a leader, 
are you engaged with the entire person? Because I'm not, at, at Southwest, we believe that the whole person comes to work, not just the skill that we're looking for. We recognize that um, as a leader, I need to connect and understand and lean in and know the whole person. And so we look for that um, as we're hiring leaders. I love that. I love that. Um, James, uh, another great business that, that Wavelength um, has, has visited over the years is a, a retailer called Timpson in the UK. They have a fundamental belief that you can't lead your people unless you know your people. Um, and indeed, it's it's super interesting. You ask, you know, uh, people coming into leadership positions, uh, those kind of questions, because at Timpson, they even go a step further because they actually they believe it's such a fundamental part of their culture. They test you on it. And so randomly, you'll you know, if you've got a team of 30 folks, say, working uh, alongside you and you're their leader, um, they'll put a piece of paper in front of you when you type up the meeting one day, on it is the name of one of your te- your people, and it will ask all those questions. What's the name of their spouse? Where do they last go on holiday? What are their children called? And the, you're expected to get at least 70% of those questions right. And uh, because they just say, you know, if you don't know those kind of details about the people that you're leading, as you say, the whole person, then you know, you can't, you can't lead them. So one of the things I love about talking to companies that have this sort of employee first uh, culture is that, um, you know, there's just a real similarity of ethos. And there in one great example, you've drawn a great parallel between what Southwest Airlines and Dallas, Texas does and Timson, a great retailer based out of Manchester, England does, you know, f- f- fantastic. I-, I just want to go back to the, the, the recruiting piece. I would say recruiting for attitude over skill is easier, perhaps when you are looking at like pilots, right? So you've got, you, you must hire, um, you know, some of the, the smartest sort of lazy gentlemen in the room, right? When it, when they, you know, highly qualified pilots who maybe had military careers or, or, or whatever, right? And there may be a they're a fairly rare commodity, right? Um, but do, I think I've heard stories that your your um, ethos around attitude extends to to pilots as much as it does a a frontline customer service employee. I think I, in fact, I even heard a story years back. It may or may not be true that a very sort of distinguished uh, pilot once did to interview, you know, his full uniform, and I think he was a military with all the stars and stripes on his jacket, and was 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 rude to the receptionist, and and pretty much his interview was over there and then, and he was he was told. But, you know, he didn't go any further. And he was utterly shocked that that, that somebody um, could just call it that quickly. Is, is, is it true that, that you will be as rigorous around the attitude of, of people in those kind of like very, very valued, um, you know, roles like pilots as you are about a, a flight attendant? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's critically important that we apply the same standards to every position. Now, we know that, you know, when we say hire for attitude, train for skill, when we talk about our pilots and our mechanics, certainly there's a certain skill set that is required for the job. Um, But we look for that balance of skill and attitude and kindness and ability to care for others. You know, our pilots, they're the CEO of that aircraft. They set the tone for that aircraft. It's really important that they take care of the crew on that aircraft and treat them with the same kindness and respect. Um, so the, the rigor around every position um, is, is equal. And typically in our interview process, we may have a first round interview with a recruiter that is solely focused on culture. And you may make the, the cut, so to speak, based on your resume and your qualification. And then round one will be, do you meet the requirements as the culture fits? And then we'll move them 
um, to that next step. Because if they don't, then we'll, you know, go ahead and um, release them. I, lo- I love that. And I just love it. I just say you're back. I just, I'm smiling when you were talking about, you know, just the detail that you go to, to try and figure out. So if somebody has the right attitude that, you know, asking the shuttle driver where they were they rude you know asking the receptionist how how was that for you asking the person that escorted the interview up from the lobby to the to the meeting room you know you because your interview is beginning before the interview is beginning right when the individual is completely off guard totally not expecting anything they do or say to be to count right yes. and uh, you're getting an insight to the real person before they walk into the room and perhaps in some instances, change gear and start to perform, right? Because uh, it can be a learned skill how to turn up for an interview. Oh, yes, anybody can turn up for 30 minutes and, you know, wow the room. That That's easy to do. It's harder, you know, to do that or around kind of those those smaller moments. One thing I, I'd love just to, to touch upon is um, when I've spoken to, to clients over the years about how uh, great organizations have incredibly strong cultures. And if you take out, you know, the first four letters, right, a cult, right, you get this, you know, very strong, you described as a family, you know, everyone's kind of on the same wavelength. Um, but how does that fit with diversity of thought, right, and diversities of perspectives? Because is there not a danger if actually if you're creating a culture where you're recruiting for the same kind of attitude where, you know, where there's a a Southwest Airlines way, everyone has to steer to the golden rule. Is there a is there a downside to the to having such a, a family first um, defined kind of culture? You know, um, no, I I would say um, I've never heard the the cult um, part of culture. That's that's really interesting. Um, I'll have to think about that. Well, I will I will say that there has been a real focus for us as well around diversity equity and inclusion. And um, we have had a focus on this really from the beginning. And it's not about hiring people like me. It is about hiring people who share values by treating others with respect and kindness and valuing differences of opinion. We are a stronger organization when we have a variety of opinions around the table. Something that I tell my leadership team is if we're, there's eight of us, and if all of you say yes, then I probably don't need seven of you in that conversation, right? We, we need to have a different opinion and different thoughts, different perspectives, different backgrounds. And so we do have processes in place to help ensure that um, we get that. And so I, as a quick example, part of the hiring process, I don't alone hire for my team. I bring in people who have a a different background, a a different set of experiences, a different set of skills to ask different questions that will lead us perhaps down a different path Um, because we want the diversity of thought that is going to only make us stronger um, if if we have that. We don't just, it's easy to hire someone like yourself. You have to be very intentional to bring in different schools of thought to to avoid that. And so we have a talent development team that partners with each leader um, to look at, you know, what does their succession plan look like? Um, You know, how strong is their talent bench? Are we pulling from a variety of different places within the company, within our markets, as an example? Um, And I think we're hitting too on um, leadership development and how Southwest is very intentional about 
creating talent pipelines that are diverse. And we do that in a number of ways. And one of them is that we've democratized um, learning over the past um, couple of years. And really the pandemic, while we, we really don't like so much about the pandemic, it did force us to think about our business differently. And leadership development is one of those areas that has gone through a pretty significant overhaul and that we can't bring people together to develop, yet development still needs to happen. And so we have created a learning portal and taken all of our content and put that on the portal for all leaders. And so now it's not about just the 30 leaders that are in class that are that content. It's all 5,000 Southwest leaders have access to that content and they can select in to that. And then that leads to other development opportunities that they can participate in. And so we've just opened up the pipeline um, and we're starting to see the results of that and with, with only a year's time under our belt. Thank you. That was, a, that was a great answer. I love that. I love that fundamental, you know, it's about, um, you know, if you start with the with the shared values, the shared sort of DNA, kind of the DNA, you know, that, that, that that's the one thing that you won't negotiate on. But beyond that, diversity of thought, diversity of background, um, uh, ethnicity is, is, is welcome, but it's that that core sort of DNA, which is, you have those kind of core values that, that, that have to be shared. I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about, um, about leadership um, at, at Southwest and then perhaps move on to some of the, what I would almost call some of the, the clever sort of systems and processes that I've seen over the years under, underpin the, the Southwest uh, way, sort of the, the culture committees and, 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 and such like. So but perhaps you could just begin with, with, with servants. So I've heard the, 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 the phrase used uh, a number of times, um, servant leadership. Um, what is servant leadership and um, how does it manifest itself at Southwest Airlines? That's a, a great question. You know, I heard Kelleher, our founder, um, once said that power is reserved for weightlifting and boats <laughs> and leadership is about serving others. And I would say that servant leadership may actually sound repetitive because it reinforces the idea of what leadership truly is. Leaders exist in order to support their company, support their employees, um, to ensure that we reach success, right? Um, it is not about um, selfless leader or selfish leadership, meaning I, I am a reward-centered leader. Um, Patrick Lencioni, just um, his latest book, The Motive, actually talks about this and which, you know, what is your motive for being a leader? A reward-centered leader is one that is a leader because of all of the things that come with that. I like making the decisions and having the power and the influence and all of those kind of tangential rewards that come with being a leader, where a responsibility-based leader is more about others, right? It is, I, my responsibility is to serve, to take care of, to remove barriers, to help others reach their fullest potential. And by doing that, that moves the organization forward. And that's fundamentally how we view um, leadership here is ensuring that leaders have clarity around what their purpose is. Um, and we, we do focus um, attention on, on helping leaders know what's most important. And there, there are really four fundamental things that our leaders should be spending their time on. They need to be developing their people 
And that is all about, right, setting those clear expectations and that coaching and that guiding. They need to build great teams. Um, a, the, the team and how that team works together um, is critically important, not just to the, the maintenance of our culture, but to the success of our business. Um, they need to be able to think strategically beyond today. It's not just the decision in front of me, but I need to be thinking about the impact and the long-term consequences um, beyond today. And they need to set a clear direction, right? I need to cast a vision for my team. I need to ensure that we're all rowing in the same direction and there's um, that, that's clearly defined. And we once leaders can focus on those, then I it's kind of the 80-20 rule, um, ensuring that those key things, objectives, and activities that I'm working on are making a, a clear difference for the company. You know, one question that Gary Kelly, our CEO, asks all of us um, senior leaders is, what is the activity that you alone can only do? What is the one thing that you must bring in order to ensure that your department is successful? It's very important as leaders that we have clarity around what it is that we can do to drive the organization forward. We're all busy and it's, it's easy to get caught up in um, the day-to-day -day activities and lists. Um, and so we focus a lot of attention on helping our leaders um, clarify, right? Kind of get through a lot of that and focus on what, what is that one what are those one, two, or three things that I can do that will make the biggest difference for our organization? And for you, what, what would your answer to that question be? For me, it's to ensure that all employees have access, easy access to growth and development to help reach their fullest potential at Southwest. And so that's anywhere from, can I get on the website? Do I know how to sign up for a class? Is there, is it tied to my performance and my talent um, review? Does my leader know me? Do they understand me? Can they coach me? Um, are there promotional opportunities? Do I see the career lattice at Southwest? Not just the ladder, but can I move? Um, are my skills transferable? And how can I set myself up um, to be able to do that? I love the answer. I love the answer to the question. I love how uh, clear how concise it is, um, how compelling it is, and uh, how quick you were just straight off the bat, you know, you, without hesitation. And it's my observation, actually, that um, in a lot of what I would call sort of um, normal, less high-performing cultures, I don't think enough leaders know what a good job looks like, actually, I think, or enough people know what a good job looks like, actually, never mind leaders, and uh, just really... Um, inspiring to me the the succinctness of which you just articulated exactly what it is the one thing that is that you can do that really drives this organization uh remarkalization forward um i just love that that herb gallagher the late now sadly of course late herb gallagher uh quote you know power is it should be reserved for boats and weightlifting i think yes. just, uh, one of the best uh, best comments around leadership <laughs> i've uh, i've heard the wonderfully quotable herb gallagher um and, and I just, yeah, I mentioned a moment ago, I'd just like to just touch upon perhaps some of the um, the, the kind of, I, I almost call them structures, I guess, or the cultural nuances at Southwest. So I remember coming to Southwest Airlines, um, I mean, I've been coming, as you know, for over 20 years on, on and off physically and now digitally. Um, things like the culture committee. Is the culture committee um, still going? And and for, my, for listeners, I'd love you just to decide what is the culture committee? Who's on it? 
What's its remit? What's its purpose? What's its impact been? How do you justify its existence? I just think I've never come across a culture committee anywhere else. Right. Well, a great question. And so culture committee was an idea from Colleen Barrett um, in the 90s as a way to respond and ensure and to protect our, our, our company from the, the concern that, gosh, as we grow, it's going to be impossible to maintain this unique, wonderful culture. You, quite, you, you can't grow outside of Texas and have that be successful, right? We started as an intrastate Texas airline. And then as we grew into, you know, Albuquerque and then to California and then to New York, there was, oh my gosh, how are we going to maintain this culture? You, we're getting too big. Um, and certainly we heard that from our critics as well, that, um, you know, you can only have a culture this special in a small family sized business. As they get bigger, it will be a challenge, right? And Colleen um, was very clear about her purpose in ensuring that our culture was protected. And so she created the culture committee, um, which essentially had employees that were peer nominated from across our company to join this committee, which met in person at that time. Um, I, I think it was about four or five times a year. And they would come together and talk about all things culture. You know, what's happening? How are we taking care of our, how are we celebrating our employees? What are our challenges right now? Let's get our best practices and communicate that back out to the organization. With the goal being that whether I visit a station in Los Angeles or Chicago or Orlando, I will have a similar experience, right? And so that that was in effect for many years. And in, in fact, right now, Adrian, we're in the process of making some changes there and moving to more of a culture ambassador program where it has a, a similar concept, um, but it employees in every location, in every department, identifies you know, two employees who are the ambassadors for that location that are really well connected with um, and have a passion for taking care of people. And they work collectively as a network to ensure that there's consistency in how we celebrate employees and take care of employees and show concern um, for our employees. It is 100% focused on people um, within our organization and employee engagement. And so those uh, cultural ambassadors could be any role could be a ramp agent could be a flight attendant could be um yeah could be any, anybody absolutely yep anybody and really they, they volunteer um and then um they they have an opportunity to to opt in and it's a two-year commitment so we try to we'll, we'll want to rotate that and, and get different opinions and perspectives at the table and when you say they volunteer but what are some of the volunteers and everybody everybody all their peer group at, at, at the uh, at the the location they work at goes, uh-uh, you know, they're, they're, there's no way, are they, should they be a cultural ambassador? Is there a kind of check check and balances? Uh, there, yes, absolutely. Yeah, there is a check and balance with leadership for sure. I, I mean, ideally, when you identify a culture ambassador, it's one that the other employees go, oh, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense, right? I think we have failed if employees go, no, <laughs> not, not that employee. So, yeah, absolutely, we, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> And would they also be responsible for? Because you know, you're in Dallas, Texas. You've got a, you've got a, you know, a, a 
team in California or Orange County or wherever, you know, you're hundreds, if not thousands of miles away from sort of the mothership. Would that cultural ambassador also in some sort of formal or informal way, if they think that the culture is really slipping at that at that local level, is there a, a mechanism or a structure for them to kind of raise a flag and say, hi, there's a, there's a problem here? And what would then happen? What kind of help or support would they be given or what kind of intervention would what would typically happen? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think I think you bring up something critical, which is the fact that the culture committee at this culture ambassador program doesn't exist just for parties and fun, right? It, it truly is to care for our wonderful, unique um, Southwest culture. And with that, we need the ability for feedback and um, to, to raise issues and concerns because they will happen. 56,000 employees across 100 locations, you are going to um, have, have issues. And so there's a number of ways that that'll be tackled. There's certainly a, a mechanism for feedback. And then how we go about tackling that will um, vary based on the situation. One of the things that we um, that we do is we have senior leaders visit each location. In fact, I just came back from visiting one of our stations and spent time talking with the station leadership. Um, I went into the ramp break room and sat down and talked to our ramp employees to talk about you know, how things are going with them. I went to the ticket counter and helped um, check some bags for customers, talk to our customers, talk to our employees, and really got a sense of what's working, what's not working, what they're worried about, what, you know, how they're feeling right now, you know, with, with COVID in particular, um, and what the company has gone through, um, how are they? So it really gave me a chance to connect. And part of that visit, um, there's a strong culture connection. So we get feedback from our culture team as to how the culture ambassadors, what feedback they have for, and what questions they might have. So yeah, I'd love just to talk about this. So this is so so, uh, uh, and there's a couple of other areas I'd love to explore. But this is this is such a relevant and pertinent topic. So there you are, Southwest Airlines, the largest, most successful domestic carrier in America, with the purpose of becoming the world's most flown, most admired airline. Everything's going fantastic, and the pandemic hits, and you go from ninety-eight percent of your flights being full to five percent of your flights full, right? And and just economic. Armageddon. Um, how do you respond? And you say you see, you see, and I know you've been famed that in the history of the of the organization, uh, you'd never had a furlough, uh, a layoff of, up until the uh, the pandemic. Um, is that still true? And 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 in 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 a, in a way that's consistent with your um, incredible employee centric culture. Just love to understand how Southwest Airlines culturally has got through, dealt with. Even 9/11. I mean, this, I was around Southwest when 9/11 hit, and and I remember the incredible impact on that and the culture. Um, you know, when 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 really tough times hit Southwest Airlines, um, unimaginably hard times. Just love to get some insight as to how the culture responds and what do you do. It's one thing to say our employees are at the center of our decision making model. That our employees come first. Anybody can say that. It's much more difficult to make consistent decisions that demonstrate that. You know, I, you can't have a furlough and then turn around and say, you guys are the only thing that matters or you're the number one thing that matters, right? That contradiction 
employees feel that and it has an impact on your culture. And for Southwest, we do everything in our power to put the employees first, you know, as we are trying to solve issues. And, and here we were in, you know, March of 2020, faced with record losses, um, faced with customers not wanting to fly, not flying, um, and, you know, 56 or so thousand or 60,000 or so employees at that time. So what do we do? Gary Kelly, our CEO, overcommunicated. So I, I think started with, um, you know, twice a week videos um, that were available to all employees with the, the state of the company. We call them the Ask Gary series. And he was front and center in here's what we know, here's what we don't know, here's what we're worried about, here's what we need you to do, um, here's how you can help. And um, when we were faced with the fact that we were overstaffed and we needed to reduce our headcount, um, we opted to give employees a voluntary leave. A, a number of voluntary leave packages were offered to employees. Um, as an example, I could take time off without pay. So I might take off a day a week or two days a week and I relinquish my pay. I want to give that back to the company. And I think when you have such a strong culture like Southwest, employees truly want to know what they can do to help. And so my response to all of my employees was give back time. You know, if you, if you don't need to work and you can't afford to do that, give back some of your time. So that was one um, option. Another option was an early leave package. And so employees could um, retire early, essentially, with Southwest. And um, we would offer them, it was up to 12 months of severance um, for retiring early. And we had several thousand employees who took advantage of that. Um, we had another package in which employees could um, take time off and just get a percentage of their pay. So they weren't here every day, and they just received a fraction of their pay. So they stayed on payroll, but we didn't have them on site. Um, and so through the, the, the options of reducing our cost around headcount, we were able to meet the objective, which was to reduce our overhead. Um, and obviously we had um, some government support as well, which through payroll support program, which helped us tremendously. Um, so now we're in a position where traffic is coming back. We are seeing um, the confidence of our travelers and that is leading to busier flights um, and the need to bring employees back. And so all those employees who um, took time off without pay or took time off with a reduced pay are we're all bringing them back now um, to the workforce and they're engaged. Um, I think our employees appreciate the effort that went into taking care of them through this. You know, we had employees who stayed on because their spouses were losing their jobs, right? This was, this was very personal. Um, and so we wanted to do everything that we could to take care of them during, you know, a very difficult time for uh, us. A, a graveyard down the, the, the wall. And, and I couldn't, and why would you have a picture of a graveyard on the wall of your business? And when I looked at it, it was and on the tombstones was all the names of all the airlines in America that had gone out of business in the last 40 years, you know, Pan Am and TWA. And the last tombstone was 
Southwest Airlines 1976 to question mark. And I, and I thought it was just a brilliant uh, way of subliminally, you know, bringing to life a, a, a potential cultural issue, right? One of complacency as you become the most successful airline in the world. And the reason we had that graveyard was because in each of those scenarios, those airlines forgot that their customers were the ones that were keeping them in business. They're a customer service organization. They, they forgot that. Um, and because of that, they lost their way. And so ensuring that we continue to take care of each other and take care of our customers is, is critical to our future. And there's a real sense of pride, I would say, that employees feel when they come through our headquarters, even new employees. And you talked about our, our onboarding program and the reason we've made the decision to bring all new employees to headquarters when they start at Southwest is to give them that experience to walk through and to connect with our history. Um, just, just finally, I just wanted to just uh, touch briefly on, on something I know that you were involved in a number of years ago, which was um, an acquisition. We touched upon the growth of the business and you acquired Airtran, which was uh, I think a one and a half billion dollar acquisition, you know, big acquisition. Um, any top tips, you know, again, for, for, for listeners who perhaps um, involved in companies that have acquired other companies, how do you integrate the two cultures, right, of, of organizations together? I think if I'm right in saying when we spoke about this many, many years ago, you talked about um, like mentors for the people who were joining from Airtran to Southwest. Could you just touch briefly upon uh, your top sort of lessons on how to bring together two very um, two two cultures and different. Sure, you know that was such a challenge for us. It was it was such a, a fun time um, for me personally because of uh, the challenge involved in trying to say, "Gosh, we have eight thousand Airtran employees that we are going to inculcate into the Southwest Airlines culture." Um, how do you do that? And so we, we spent some time learning from some of our peers in the industry that had gone through an acquisition and um, that, were, that were struggling. And we heard things like, you always know who came from you know, this carrier because they had this employee number and beyond, or they had some, something that differentiated themselves. So it, it created a a split, if you will, in, in the culture. You kind of had this team and this team that were kind of side by side. We wanted one team. It was Southwest Airlines. Um, I think we said one team, all heart, was, was one of the, the ways that we helped to communicate that vision. And so you have 8,000 employees. How do you bring them in in a way that takes care of them, helps them understand that they are part of something special and something greater than themselves and help them feel like a sense of belonging. Then how do we take care of our Southwest employees who in many cases felt like I worked really hard to get here and Southwest is special and they're, they're just going to be able to come in. You know, how do you reconcile that sense of fairness um, as well? So we, we did several things. One, we, um, you know, we are a 90, I'd say 94 or so percent unionized um, as an organization. And so employee number and seniority comes into play. And we made the decision to not just take that 8,000 and create a group of employee numbers that would then be identifiable. 
we identified employee numbers along the way of employees that had left, and we matched a seniority timeframe with those employees, and so they integrated, um, and so it is a seamless um, integration. So today, you would not know if an employee was AirTran based on their employee number. So that's something kind of tactical that we did, but we knew would have long-term um, impact. We also focused a lot of attention on um, how to engage Southwest employees with the AirTran employees. And as you mentioned, there was a, a cohort program, if you will. So we asked current employees to adopt an AirTran employee and to reach out to them, connect with them, answer questions, kind of be a lifeline, if you will. And we actually had more Southwest employees volunteer than we had AirTran employees. And so that was a really good problem to have. Um, so we had a ton of engagement around each of those. Uh, we also focused a lot on the training experience for those AirTran employees. And, you know, if I'm a flight attendant for AirTran, I already know how to be a flight attendant. And I was a flight attendant on a 737. But how Southwest does things is a little different than AirTran. So we identified what are the similarities and what are the differences. And we created a special training just for AirTran employees um, that really focused on not just our policies and procedures, but focused on our culture and some of the differences um, that, that their, their employees would experience. And then we celebrated, Adrian. we celebrated a lot. And we brought kind of the party, if you will, to Atlanta and um, got to know them. You know, AirTran was a great organization. We acquired them because they were strong and there was a lot to, to learn there. So I think we were humble in our approach to recognize that there are some things that we can learn from them as well. And so we spent a lot of time uh, working with them to, to transfer some of that knowledge and take some of those best practices, um, which I also think helped the AirTran employees feel valued in the process. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Well, Elizabeth, thank you. Um, just been, uh, you, you know, you've in this last hour, I think you've really sort of uh, lifted the lid on um, the, the, some of those kind of secrets and, and and core philosophies and beliefs that underpin this this truly remarkable organisation. So, so immense thanks for that. And um, you know, I, I think the world would just be a better place, frankly, if um, every organisation in the world um, embraced a bit of Southwest Airlines spirit. Well, Adrian, thank you for having me. It's truly been an honor and a pleasure in talking about one of my favorite topics, <laughs> which is <laughs> airlines. And so, so thank you very much. And thanks to all of your listeners. Many thanks for listening. It's been a real pleasure to interview Elizabeth today and to get some insight into the remarkable Southwest Airlines culture and pick up some wonderful quotes along the way. Power should be reserved for boats and weightlifting, being amongst my absolute favorites. If you've enjoyed this podcast, Kindly like us on the platform you're listening to this podcast on and keep up to date with Wavelength at www.wavelengthleadership.com. Thanks again for listening.